Welcome to Unpacking Impact, a podcast that explores how rapid digital transformation shapes economics, culture, jobs, policy, and of course, you. Each episode, we speak with thought leaders that are playing and changing the game at the highest levels. In this episode, we are joined by Jenny Kesu. Jenny is the CEO of Xshore, the Swedish electric boat maker, also known as the Tesla of boats. We discuss the future of electric vehicles, the intersection of capitalism and sustainability, and the impact of COVID-19 on global business trends. I'm Naveen Tukaram. I'm Andrew Schwartz. Let's begin. So Jenny, first off, thanks so much for dialing in from Sweden to be on our podcast. We really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for having me, Naveen. Our pleasure. I guess before we jump too deep into it, give us a sense of what is Exshore? What makes Exshore so unique? And why did you join as CEO of this company? So basically, Exshore is literally driving the future of sustainable boating. And we do that by providing our customers with a superior experience. And this is the reason why I joined, because I feel like this is an opportunity to change and to drive a traditional industry that is not very sustainable in a much more sustainable future. And I think we can do that pretty fast. So for me, it's all about making a difference. When you say making a difference, making a difference in terms of the marine industry, in terms of electric vehicles, or in terms of environmentalism? So leisure boating is relatively dirty. So if you look at it from a Swedish perspective, where we go boating around three months per year, we have a short summer, as you know, Navin. Uh, and th- during those three months, we literally, as a leisure boating industry, we emit around a third of what the domestic flights in Sweden emit over a full year. So if you go by your leisure boat during those three months, you emit as much CO2 that you would have done if you would have gone by car for three and a half years. So I think from a environmental perspective, this is a big thing. And then you add on, of course, you know, uh, change in terms of electrification. I think that the boating industry will see the same transformation that you've seen in the automotive industry. So I think from all of the perspectives you mentioned, actually. And how does Exshore's electric boats solve this problem? Well, from a number of perspectives. So, of course, for us, sustainability is one thing in terms of we do not emit any CO2. We are 100% electric. We also try to build our boats out of sustainable materials, and we try to do that in a very sustainable and responsive process. So we don't emit chemicals, we don't harm workers, etc. And that's just from the sustainability perspective. I mean, I don't think that consumers will shift over from combustion engine boats to electric boats if it's only more sustainable. I think it needs to be a better experience from all perspective. And I mean, for us, the boats are silent and, and you've been on combustion engine boats, right? So those th- that's super noisy. You can't have a conversation if you're going at speed. So our boats are silent. There's no fumes. The acceleration is amazing. Well, I know that you've been on the boat, so you know that uh, it's pretty much like, you know, the first time you drive a Tesla, it's, you literally get sucked back into your car seat. And, and we have a similar experience when you're driving our boats. The boat's also connected. We download 150 data points per second. So it's not only the drivetrain. I mean, we have a lot of cool IoT features. I can start my boat with my 
app or my watch. We are about to launch auto docking later. We can do that over the air because all the boats are connected at all times. So whenever we release a new cool feature, we can just push that out over the air. So I think that is a great experience. And I think that is the reasons why consumers relatively fast will actually do this transformation from combustion engine boats to electrical ones. So this is incredibly exciting. And, you know, being on a boat where it's spewing out fumes and gasoline in, in the water, you know, for those of us who like to swim it is, you know, just about the worst thing. So it's a welcome thing to the environment. Personally, you know, the last time I swam in the Chesapeake Bay, which is, you know, our closest body of water, you know, just sucking up the gasoline and all the pollution, you know, really underscored for me how important what you're doing is. I want to ask you, is this a luxury item that you're involved with right now? Or is this like a more routine kind of thing for people? I mean, boating in general is a luxury, but you know, what's the application here? Is this just for yachts? Is it for smaller boats? What, what kind of, what are we talking about? So the boats that we are currently selling, they are eight meters. So definitely not yachts, but uh, it, I would say affordable premium It's like, as you mentioned, boats are in general, uh, a luxury product. It's something that you purchase that you don't really need. Most people need a car and they need somewhere to live. And this is something in between in terms of, you know, price also. So I would say affordable premium, but it, it's kind of like in the automotive industry. I mean, the first electrical vehicles out there were premium. And then over time, when you get new players joining. I mean, some will be premium, some will be less premium. So I think that, of course, over time, this will be um, similar transformation that you've seen in the automotive industry. And do you think that eventually your technology is going to be able to be applied to larger you know, commercial ships, to yachts, to things like that? There are already several ways of making boating more sustainable. So we're in the leisure boating segment, and there we are clearly the leader in the industry. You would not be able to use our drive train at a large ferry or similar. So that's that's a difference there. But in the leisure boating industry, you can apply it on more vessels than ours. Jenny, you mentioned that you guys record 150 data points Per second. My understanding is that's not only about engine and performance data, but also environmental data as well. Can you talk a little bit about that feature? Yeah, sure. So if you include also environmental data, that's that number actually goes up. So we uh, we download 150 data points from the boat itself, which is predominantly batteries, drivetrain, etc. However, we also include sensors on some of the boats, depending on the customers. And those sensors can record up to 35 additional data points connected to the environment. So pH balance in the water, visibility, uh, chemicals, etc. So it, it depends on, on what the customers want. And this is something we predominantly equip boats with when we are selling to uh, governments or similar customers. And what are the applications for that to help try to manage fish populations, the environment, pollution, etc.? Yeah, predominantly. We have customers that are very cautious around the waters they are in. Either they want to closely track temperature in the water or pH levels or visibility, and, and then they track that very closely through our software algorithm. This will really help your, your hobby of swimming, Andrew, because she's going to help clean the waters around where you're swimming with these data points. This is what we need, Naveen. This is exactly what we need. I mean, you know, we all want to clean our oceans and bodies of water and lakes and everything. 
How do you see your business evolving and growing over time? Who are your typical customers? And, you know, really more to the point, since Xshore is really a cool name, when are you sending me and Naveen t-shirts that say Xshore? <laughs> I think Naveen might already have one. Well, I'll make sure to send you one too, Andrew. Okay. No, but I mean, I mean, to date, we have more demand that we can supply. So at the moment, we're ramping up as quickly as possible. We're about to set up our second factory here in Sweden. And I think that we will have to have a third one in the U.S not too far out in the future. So we're really ramping up from that perspective. If today, if you can build an electric boat, you will be able to sell it. That's how the market looks like at the moment. That's that's the level of demand. We have CE certified boats, which is what you need in the EU to sell it directly to customers. That entails that they can insure the boats. And we also have the similar certifications in the US. We actually relatively recently launched in the US and we've received great response. So I'm very happy about that. But literally what we see in the future, we have more demand that we can supply. So we're ramping up production as much as we can. And, and of course, we sell to individuals being customers. We do that both through resellers and, and directly over our website. We also sell to businesses Relatively recently, Norway came out and said that their fjords would be fully fossil free already in 2026. This is in line with what many governments are doing. I mean, Amsterdam will be fully fossil free already in 2025. So you can today not buy a combustion engine boat and put it in Amsterdam. And now that same goes for the Norwegian fjords. So in terms of businesses, we have a lot of interest from Norwegian salmon farms might be luxury hotels, especially if they're eco-friendly or sustainability in certain terms of their profiles. And, and we also, as I mentioned earlier, we also sell to governments, municipalities, etc. So quite a broad range of customers, actually. So, uh, Jenny, tell us a little bit about the power and range of your boats based upon your battery technology. Sure. So we have roughly 20% more uh, battery power in our boats than the largest Tesla. So that just gives you a sense of how much batteries we have. And if you go with our boat in lower speeds, you can actually go on for more than 20 hours. And if you go at planing speed, which is around 25 knots, you can go on for a couple of hours. And of course, our boats go, they can do up to 35 knots. So it depends a lot, as with electric cars, on how you use it. However, you never have to have what we within the automotive uh, industry refer to as range anxiety. I mean, you don't have to be afraid that you will get to your destination or back home on one charge since for us, you can always just go slower and then you can go on for basically as long as you want to. And also we have tons of software helping you to plan your route to see, you know, how far you will get at this speed, etc. So if you look at most people, how they go about boating, they're out for a couple of hours and they're out once per day at the most. And then you can even charge the boat at your own electrical outlet where you charge your cell phone. You charge that overnight and you can do two hours planing speed the second day. And if you go at slower speed, as I mentioned, you can go on for more than 20 hours. And honestly, I love boating, but not even I want to be out on a boat for 20 hours. <laughs> so let me ask you this. We've, we've mentioned Tesla a couple of times. Has Tesla been a big inspiration 
Do you learn lessons from what Elon Musk and Tesla has been doing? Uh, first of all, obviously, I'm not Elon Musk. Uh, <laughs> and it's super flattering to even be compared to a company like Tesla. I mean, the, the automotive industry and Tesla in particular are years ahead of the boating industry and especially us. That said, I think that Elon Musk is a great inspiration to basically all business leaders. And, and uh, you know, most companies look at Tesla one way or another because it's a it's a company that have been able to drive the future, not only for their own industry, but, you know, lots of industries are looking at what they're doing and how they have done it. So, I mean, that that's impressive in so many ways. So, of course, we look at that and I'm very inspired by them. Are there other areas of electric vehicles generally that you keep track of? For our listeners, for our audience, you know, they're obviously aware of Tesla and electric cars. Those are, those are here and here to stay. They're maybe a little less familiar with electric boats. Are there other areas where you see battery technology, electric vehicles applying that we should be focused on? Well, there's lots of them. However, of course, the automotive industry is the most further advanced. And I think that the boating industry is, you know, catching up relatively quickly. So for us, we look at the automotive industry. It's very different if you look at electrical scooters or something like that. So for us, it's automotive industry that we follow very closely. So we're not going to see electric planes anytime soon, I guess. Well, I'm not an expert, so I don't dare to uh, comment on that. <laughs> Let, let's let's switch gears for a second, Jenny. Let's talk about you know, capitalism and environmental mm -hmm. sustainability, because that's something that, you know, is right in your wheelhouse. How can capitalism and entrepreneurship become more compatible with environmental interests in your view? So from my perspective, this is how I look at it. According to scientists, we need three planets to sustain our way of living already by 2050. And if that's correct, or at least, you know, it only has to be two planets, right? That's that's uh, still way too much. If we need that much to sustain a way of living, we desperately need to become more sustainable quickly. And, and if you look at that, a society needs to be circular. doesn't matter how you look at it. We don't even have to aim for uh, two degrees in terms of the Paris Agreement. You know, e even a three-degree economy has to be circular. And, and hence, all... Businesses need to become circular quickly. Otherwise, you will be out of business. So from my perspective, we don't have a choice. So do you, do you see a trend towards sustainability and environmental stewardship in the business community, in Sweden, in the United States, globally? Well, definitely. As you might know, I have a background from Summa Equity. And when we founded Summa five, six years ago, basically everyone laughed at us. I mean, that was just over the UN SDGs, the UN Sustainable Development Goals had been launched. And we tied our investment philosophy to them. Uh, everyone laughed then. To date, Summa has proven that they do business as good or most often even better than others, and they still do that sustainably. So at least in Europe, it's basically impossible to raise capital now without talking about sustainability. And, and even with Summa, I mean, when I was at Summa, we had half our capital coming from the US. So I think, of course, US is huge difference between West and East and, and different states. But I think in in big parts of the world today, sustainability is something that you have to look into uh, and take into account when you're investing. Otherwise, you might be out of business in very few years time. What's the most important step in your view 
that companies should be taking towards a more environmentally sustainable future? I think that all companies should look at the UN Sustainable Development Goals. I mean, those are the 17 goals that most countries in the world have agreed on, that that's the ones we should be focused on. And then look at how does your business connect to those It might be one clear goal, it might be two or three, but if you look at how you're connected to those and how you should improve in order to help the world reach those goals, I think it makes it very clear. And it's it's actually not that difficult when you look at it. I mean, from our perspective, of course, uh, reduction of CO2 is very clear. It's also life below water, reduced noise pollution. It's also uh, recycling. We try to make our boats out of recyclable or reusable or even biodegradable materials when we can. And I think there's so much to do there if you look at it. And it's not that difficult either. And I think there's a huge interest from consumers also to have responsible products and sustainable products. And I actually think that that is a huge opportunity for most businesses. Do you think a lot of the investors in Exshore care a lot about those concepts? Are they primarily involved for the sustainability aspect or for the capitalism aspect or some combination of both? If you look at our share ledger and and the investors we have, there is a lot of investors coming from the e-mobility or electrification space, of course, uh, but we also have a lot of professional investors coming from the sort of hardcore financial industry, and they obviously think that this is a good investment. It's not environmentalist. It's not, uh, you know, any... People focused on sustainability in general, it's people from the financial industry. And then I think they they see this as a um, huge potential and and a good business case. And and, uh, I'm sure it's an upside that is also sustainable, but, uh, you know, they invest where they think they can make a lot of money. So I think it's both. You know, recent data that's been reported has shown that that globally, there's been a, a drastic reduction in emissions during the pandemic except for places like Australia that had massive brush fires, California and the United States, massive fires. But overall, there's been huge pollution reduction in the air and in emissions. What environmental lessons do you think we can draw from this? I think most people think twice now before they travel. I mean, do you need to travel from Stockholm to London for a one-hour meeting or similar? And I think most people won't in the future. We become much better at working also digitally and remote. So I think a lot of shorter business meeting would rather take place over Teams or Zoom or what have you. So I think that's one learning. Although, of course, people will continue to travel, but we will travel more cautiously, I think. And then also, I mean, boating is all-time high and and staycation and similar. And I think also we've learned that we do not necessarily have to travel. We can also have it quite good, you know, close to home if if we do that in a nice way. So I think that there's a couple of learnings from that. And I also think that both technology and sustainability and all the mega trends have sort of been accelerated by this pandemic. Uh, And I think that is what we clearly see here. Now, I know Naveen is anxious to talk COVID in Sweden with you because Naveen, of course, is you know part <laughs> Swedish and spends a lot of time there. So I'm going to let you guys take that one on. So Jenny, Sweden took a little different approach to COVID-19 than most European countries. Overall, how do you think Sweden has fared during COVID in terms of the economy and in terms of the average citizen? I, I think it's very difficult to speculate, you know, how a country 
whether it was successful or not in terms of living COVID. I think it will be tens and 20 years out before we know which uh, country did the right thing or not. That said, I know that there's been a lot of you know articles around the Swedish way of handling COVID-19 in international media, and I think it's sort of painted out to be much more of a difference than it really is. I mean, in Sweden, we haven't been under a mandatory lockdown, but we've been under sort of voluntary lockdown. Most people have been working from home. We have been trying to be at home as much as we can. And also, you know this, Naveen, I mean, Sweden is early adopters when it comes to technology. We're relatively tech savvy as a nation. So I think for Swedes, it would not it wasn't that difficult to work from home. I mean, much was already in place and prepped. And hence we quickly transition into a voluntary lockdown. So I think the difference is played out to be much bigger than it actually is. Although of course, to some extent, we have had a nicer time since we've been able to be uh, outside more than many other countries. Well, it gets dark early in Sweden too. So easier to work at home when it gets dark early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that, you know, if you compare to the, to New York, for example, most people live, you know, at, at very small apartments and similar. And, and in Sweden, many people, you know, we have the luxury of being able to live, you know, larger apartments or, or villas or houses even. So from that perspective, it's been easier for us to be working from home. I keep trying to get an invitation to Naveen's villa in Sweden. You but, are more than welcome you know. anytime, Andrew. More than welcome. We'll, we'll drive there on one of the extra boats. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll drive you myself. No worries. What sectors do you think are going to continue to suffer during the pandemic? And what do you think is going to emerge, you know, is really doing well coming out of the pandemic? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think that the pandemic has escalated and accelerated a lot of the megatrends that we've been seeing for quite some time. I mean, not only sustainability, but also technology, electrification. And I think that those areas, we will continue to see that those are thriving because sort of, you know, most most of the technology shift were already in place, but we hadn't really shifted over like the last piece. And now we got forced to do that. And 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 you know, I think that's this year is probably, you know, you can probably compare that to five years of development in a normal stage. So, so I think that all areas positively affected by the megatrends is, I think, what where you will be seeing this positive shift. Do you have any advice for someone over the next five years who may want to make a career transition? Because I think that, as you said, these trends are accelerating so fast. It's really hard to predict where things will go. So you really have to be very thoughtful when managing your career in terms of where you want to spend your time, what skill sets you want to develop. Any advice for maybe someone coming out of college or someone who's early stages of their career where they might want to focus or learn? As of my perspective is, well, basically, you can look at the UN Sustainable Development Goals. That's what the world needs to focus on. This is the transition that needs to happen. And I mean, the megatrends are, as you say, they are forcing us to move so quickly now. So I would make sure to be on the right side of, of uh, both of those, you know, doing the right thing, focusing on something in line with the megatrends. I mean, I wouldn't go into oil now, for example. And, and I think that's very clear to people when you think about it from that perspective. But then lastly, I mean, you can never know what to focus on and how the future would look like. So as long as you're sort of on the right side of history, like I did the right thing, I tried, I focused on something that is good. I didn't only do something to make money. You know, I did something that was right to do. I think I think that is helpful uh, in any case because the world is moving fast. And if you end up 
doing something that you know didn't pan out the way you think, at least you would have done the right thing, right? But in general, I think anything that is in line with the US Sustainable Development Goals and the megatrends, you know, you will be pretty good off. Are there policies that governments, whether the US or EU or Sweden can put into place that could help create more sustainable companies or could help the UN achieve its sustainability goals? Of course. I think that both Carrot and, and WIP can work in these cases. One very successful example we have here in the Nordics is Norway and, and the electrification. We've seen a very fast shift in terms of electric cars in Norway. Uh, last year was the first year ever where more electric cars were sold than traditional cars. This is in Norway. Uh, I'm not 100% sure exactly what kind of incentives they have had, but but there's been uh, lots and they've managed to make this shift very quickly. So that's very impressive. And I think that's, that's something that most politicians can, you know, look at as an inspiration. Do you think the Nordics are ahead of the U.S. in that regard in terms of incentivizing more sustainable capitalism? Well, I think Norway is for sure leading here. We haven't had as many incentives in Sweden, but here we have customers wanting to act responsibly from a large perspective. But then also, I mean, there's lots of interesting moves coming out of the U.S. and, and the Biden administration at the moment. So we might see U.S. getting ahead of the line here. Let's see. Jenny, we like to ask all of our guests who come on, what gives them the most optimism for the future? So what gives you the most optimism? So I'm actually getting more and more optimistic uh, actually by the month now. I mean, I, I think a few years ago, uh, a lot of people thought that, you know, we've, we're now beyond the point of no return. I mean, this is not possible to turn around anymore. However, I mean, with the technology advancements that we're seeing and and customers and companies wanting to do the right thing, I think, you know, I've never been this positive before. I mean, we can actually do this. So from my perspective, you know, uh, all the megatrends, the consumers, the companies really want to do the right thing now. We can actually do this. This is at least how I feel. So I'm getting quite optimistic, I must say. That's fantastic. That's a good inspirational note. And I think we're almost out of time, but I'd want to ask you a question that I think speaks to some trends we're seeing definitely in the U.S. and around the world, which is gender equity. And, you know, gender equity and diversity have been big topics here in the U.S. Sweden has always been considered a quote unquote, more equal country with regards to gender equity and these type of issues than other countries. You know, you're a mother, you're the CEO of a hot, innovative company. You know, how do you think about these issues when it comes to hiring, when it comes to who's leading other entrepreneurial companies, et cetera? Well, I, I think diversity is hugely important and, and I've always tried to lead that way. So there's a couple of takeaways from my perspective. First of all, there's a lot of research showing that returns increase by somewhere between 10 and 20% if you have diverse teams. So that's something to take into account, right? That's serious. And on top of that, innovation increases by six times when you have diverse teams. And so from that perspective, I think it's hugely important to look at that from a team perspective. And I think what, what many companies does wrong, at least if you ask me, and, and I have a background, as you know, from the financial industry, at any position, you look at the exactly best candidate for that position, and you need to look at the team, right? 
You talk about diverse teams. It's the teams that make the uh, financial returns, the team that, you know, gets the innovation going. So I think you always need to look at what, how you should, you should do in order to improve the team, not to sort of top every single position, because that might, worst case scenario, end up with you getting a pretty shitty team together. Right. You can have a lot of stars that don't work well together. So you're trying to optimize yeah, exactly. the team. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for your time today. This is a fascinating discussion. I think we both learned a lot about electric boats and about a lot of other things that you have going on and, you know, just about your thought process as a CEO and someone who's operating, you know, in this climate. So thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jenny. If you enjoy this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog. Music.